Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 on the Outkick OTT Network. Glad you're with us alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. We are going to connect with Brent Hubs and Austin Price for the Tennessee Power Hour coming up momentarily. Right now, though, a reminder, the risk-free bet, $50 risk-free bet from FanDuel.com. FanDuel.com slash OK360 allows you to place a risk-free bet. You can place it on any sport. My bad. But you can actually... Uh, go and do that on the NCAA tournament. The deal ends, though, across the state of Tennessee today. So go to FanDuel.com slash OK360, and you will be able to place that risk-free bet up to $50. If you lose, you're going to get back uh, everything back in site credit. If you win, we recommend going with the parlay because that's how you can really win and rack up money to carry you through the rest of the month and the rest of all of the craziness with the NCAA. Mine tournament. has been made. I have taken no risk, and I think I win about 350. Well, if you want to do a seven-game parlay on that first day, or however many you want to go, you could you could make your it's year. Too many the with that is, bet, but if you, you hit, you, you could make your early bet. game there, and it's your whole day many. is over. It's too much, too much. We had some connection issues with Austin Price, Brent Hubs, trying to reconnect with them, so we may uh, have them a little bit later in the hour. Just, but we've just been FYI. known to carry some things on our own, and we will forge ahead. Of course, absolutely. That's what uh, we do on this show. Jayon Brown resigns in a, in a surprise. Yeah, you said that you you didn't think he was going to be valued anything near. I, I didn't think he, he was he getting said, Matt Milano. He said not Matt Milano. Money. Yeah, but, which was 12. But I sure didn't think 5.75. That's a, a I, I was surprised it was that low. And that is very fortunate. Now, I wrote this morning what the Titans need to do. And, uh, you know, they, they still have a long, long list of needs. It would be ideal if they could get themselves another good inside linebacker in the fifth round this year, the way they did with J.N. Brown and Avery Williamson previously. David Long does not look as good as a sixth rounder from a couple years ago. Uh, right now, Hutton and I agree, I think you do too, Chad, that he's not a starting level player. He could grow into that this year, but I think it's more likely that he's uh, a good third. And a year from now, J.N. Brown will be going to market again probably in position if he plays the way he's capable of playing and stays healthy, in position to make a lot more than 5.75, potentially gone. Rashawn Evans needs to be gone, and the Titans need to have another good inside linebacking option who's more instinctive than Rashawn Evans and a better run player than Jayon Brown. Um, so ideally, the Titans are in position where they can get somebody to start to develop them for next year and worry about a 2020 need in 2021, something they didn't do well at last year as these guys are leaving. They don't have replacements in-house. No Corey Davis replacement, no Adam Humphreys replacement, no Malcolm Butler replacement, no Adore Jackson replacement, though Fulton kind of, but not really, leaving them with needs that they have to address, must address right now, right? So we shall see. But Jayon Brown being back is, is really good news. That's big for their defense. And, and the, his elbow apparently is, is okay. Yeah, he, he was one of the two or three best guys on defense, along with Malcolm Butler. 
Well, and the speed element that he brings that they lost whenever he was out. He's a good coverage guy, and you have to have that in that position the way the NFL is now with, uh, with the kind of tight ends and running backs that are out for passes these days. Um, he gives you an option there. The Titans had a lot of trouble with some of those people last season as they had trouble with virtually everything on defense. He was one of those guys that you knew his value when he wasn't there more than anything else. Right, you kind of take him for granted when he's on the field, but the moment that he was out, you saw the drop off at that position without Jayon Brown, and like you mentioned, Hunt, without that speed that he brought to the table, this is a great deal for the Titans. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those contracts. There's there's been some wins, there's been some losses in this free agency period for the Titans. We won't really know which is which until the season gets here, but. This seems like a no-brainer, huge win for the Titans with this Jayon Brown signing at that price. And Bud Dupree and Danico Autry will be speaking with the media uh, via Zoom uh, later on this afternoon, about 2.30, I believe. So what's next for this, for this free agency period for the Titans? They, they re-signed Jayon Brown. Um, do you anticipate them trying to go wide receiver in the veteran market right now, or do you think they wait? I think, I mean, I don't know about right now, but I think uh, you've got to sift through that wide receiver market and come away with something. I mean, you could be able to draft a second number two and number three receiver and a cornerback conceivably to mix in with Fulton and Janoris Jenkins. You've made your veteran move at cornerback, I think, with Jenkins. So you're going to draft one. It's a guessing game, right. largely. But wide receiver, I would think you'd get a veteran and a rookie as well. So who's the veteran Who's the veteran wide receiver and what's the timetable on that? I'd say that's one of the, the big items to come. I think it's conceivable they move forward um, with tight end as they are, maybe getting Michael Pruitt back and, and, a, and a draft pick. Gerald Everett, one guy we talked about, signed with Seattle. Um, so I don't know, you know, if they're picking up somebody in free agency, it would be a Michael Pruitt level guy. Ideally, it would be Michael Pruitt. Chad, when we come back, we're going to try to reconnect with Austin Price and Brent Hubs. Round two. We're going to give it a go with our Quest Power Hour. Vols tip off tomorrow, and we're going to be live from 6th and Peabody. Special start time for our show tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern is when we'll go live. We have an Outkick VIP party for the college basketball tournament. Tips off this evening. We're live tomorrow as all the games get going, and then we'll be hanging out throughout all day and, and evening, uh, enjoying some great food and drinks and checking out the balls. Yeah, and to clear up any confusion, it's an OutKick VIP party, but general public is welcome. If you're a part of the OutKick VIP program, you get special early access with some free food and drink and specials. That's at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, Noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, just in time for the games to tip off. General public, welcome to attend with us at 6th and Peabody. Terrific venue. We've done stuff there in the past. We love it. Walter and his team will get the job done for everyone, and we look forward to having a huge turnout for this event. There's indoor and outdoor seating. It's going to be a blast. My favorite time of year. Uh, This is definitely one of them with the tournament starting, and we get to enjoy it with hopefully a, a lot of viewers and listeners tomorrow. It's the Tennessee Power Hour. We roll on and we talk Vols hoops in the tournament next, right here on Outkick 360. (music) 
Place a wager on any sport across Tennessee, and you can have a risk-free bet. $50 back in site credit at FanDuel.com if you lose. But if you win, you get that risk-free bet so you can go big and you can have a windfall as the tournament gets here. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Glad you're with us. With Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Time for the VolQuest Power Hour with Brent Hubs and Austin Price of VolQuest.com, where once a week we will chat all things Tennessee Volunteers with the best who cover the university and the athletic program down in Knoxville. Brent, Austin, great to have you back on, man. Good to be back. Great to be here. Welcome back, guys. Thanks. Great to be back and to be back paired with with VolQuest.com. The tournament is here. Let's just start with general expectations. Is Is it to a point where you think, if they win, it's not a big surprise, and if the Vols lose, it's not a big surprise. Where do you set the bar right now for Rick Barnes' squad? Well, for me, I think you're exactly right. I think it's this team can advance into the Sweet 16 and could get hot and play well, and this team can also be in a situation where they go home, uh, and they can go home tomorrow afternoon if they don't if they don't play well, they don't show up. They, they've got to take care of the basketball. And they've got to play the last five minutes of the basketball game uh, well. Um, so um, this team's got plenty of talent. Rick Barnes said it best. They can win them all. They could lose it in a hurry. Uh, and that's the case. So we'll see how this team is ready to play. I'm curious to see how, how ready all teams are to play when this thing gets underway because it's been so unusual up there this week getting to this point with all the isolation and quarantine and all that stuff. I think it's very mentally taxing on everybody playing. What do you guys think about, just in general, and Austin, I'll start with you on, on this one, but Rick Barnes, the expectation level now of the program is to where this team was picked, and I, I looked at it yesterday, they were picked 12th preseason in the AP. They are the 19th seed in the NCAA tournament. Doesn't Numerically, not a huge drop-off with those two numbers, but based on expectations, this team was wildly inconsistent and did not live up to the hype, and that's been a disappointment to Vols fans but yet here they are, a five seed in the NCAA tournament, and people are disappointed. So that's both a compliment and a diss to Rick Barnes uh, when you think about where this program is right now. Austin, where do you think Vols fans are with this team? And is it, I guess, is there a righteous frustration or anger with this group and with Rick Barnes based on what the, the fan base has seen the regular season? Well, I think the frustration lies, Chad, from the standpoint of this group was expected to, to do big things and potentially do something that no Tennessee team has ever done before, and that's make it to the Final Four. But they can still do that. Like, you know, I, you, know you guys asked Brent, you know, kind of what, you know, what would surprise him and all that stuff. For me, like, I, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Tennessee got bounced in the first round, but I think it would be a big disappointment if Tennessee doesn't make it to the second weekend. And I get Oklahoma State and even Oregon State, who's really hot right now, are formidable opponents. But this is a Tennessee basketball team that still has plenty of talent. If they shoot it well, I think they, they are as dangerous as any team uh, in, in, on their side of the bracket. I think it all boils down to making shots, just kind of like it does hitting in the postseason of baseball. you got to make shots in tournament basketball. Tennessee needs some of their key shooters from the outside, You know, whether it be Victor Bailey or Santiago Vescovi, to stroke it. Um, but, yeah, the, the expectations have changed under Rick Barnes. And I get people are, are, are disappointed maybe in, in the five seed, but it's a tournament sport. Nobody remembers what you did in the regular season if you go out and perform this time of year. 
Austin Price and Brent Hubbs with us from VolQuest.com for the VolQuest Power Hour on Outkick 360. Brent, behind the scenes, what do, what do coaches think about their draw and, and facing Oregon State, potentially Oklahoma State right out of the gate? Well, when you're a five seed, that second round game is going to be a tough matchup. Um, if the bracket holds true, I mean, that, that you're just you're not going to get a quote cupcake second round game to get to the Sweet 16. So, uh, you know, I think that the the Oklahoma State matchup, if Tennessee were to get there, is a challenging matchup. But I, I don't think it's insurmountable. I don't think it's a horrible matchup for Tennessee. They've obviously got. Uh, a, you know, a big time player and, and, and a score that Keon Johnson would, I would think, would get assigned there. And then, you know, I think the biggest question for this team is how do they play in the post um, if John Fulkerson can't go? Eve Pons cannot get in foul trouble to me. Josiah James cannot get in early foul trouble. That's not a knock on Euros Plavich, but I, I don't think Tennessee wants to play him 25 minutes in a basketball game. He, he did a solid job against Alabama. Uh, but he played 17 minutes because Josiah James was in foul trouble, not because he was in the, quote, rotation for that many minutes. It just worked out that way because of foul trouble. So I think that Tennessee's key is to, to stay out of foul trouble. Oklahoma State's athletic. They got they caused some problems there. But, again, I, I think this Tennessee team's got a little confidence about it. I kind of like their edge. Um, they, I, I kind of thought they had a little – a little more fight and grit in them. I thought they had a little more of, a, of an edge about them, uh, even to start the tournament before the Fulkerson play, and I thought it carried through. I, I'm not a big fan of jawing back and forth, but I, I didn't feel like Tennessee was going to take a load of crap off anybody. I, I felt like they were you know, shoving back if they needed to, holding their position if they needed to, and kind of trying to make a statement, and I thought they played that way all weekend. They've got to play that way starting tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, picking up on Ponds, uh, feel like a guy like that who can be such a headache defensively the way he blocks shots. Uh, I don't know that Oregon State's seen a guy like that or, or not. Seems to me like an X-factor guy if they, if they haven't um, with, with such an ability to obstruct the basket or come out of nowhere to block shots. How much of an X-factor do you imagine he might be in that regard? Well, I think he well, can I be a huge, huge. factor, Paul, um, both on the defensive end of the floor and, you know, on the offensive end of the floor. Because if he if he's more aggressive offensively, Brent, this is a, 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 a player that, you know, can give you something in the post, especially if he ever gets assertive and uses his body. A lot of times he's shooting fall-away shots, Brent. He don't get to the foul line a lot. If he could do that in this tournament and get to the foul line, to me that changes things for Tennessee in the post, potentially without John Fulkerson with this team. And I think it's Eve Pons and Josiah James. I mean, look, you want Victor Baylor, Victor Bailey to score. Um, he needs to score, but you know, he's going to put up shots. Okay. And you know, Viscovi is going to shoot the basketball. My question is, is Josiah James going to assertively look for points? Is he going to go to the basket? Is he going to stand around and kind of play on the perimeter only And the same for Pons? Pons has fallen in love with that that three-point shot, he's made some of them. I mean, he, he's better at the top of the key, I think, than he is anywhere else with it. But I would like to see Pons at the rim. Uh, I, I've said that all year long. I don't know that he suddenly gets that way in tournament play, but if he can clean up on the offensive glass, score some points there, and then be that rim protector that Rick Barnes is always looking for in his defense. I mean, his better teams, whether he was at Texas or uh, Clemson or at Tennessee, his best defensive teams have always had a guy 
who can come out of nowhere on help defense and be a rim protector. And obviously we saw that from Ponds this past weekend in Nashville at the SEC tournament. Brent, I'll start with you on this one. Is it your understanding that Fulkerson is definitely out? And I want to go back to the elbow also. So kind of a two-part question. With Omar Payne's elbow, I know everyone said the right things after the fact, including Payne calling Fulkerson. Should he be suspended, especially if John Fulkerson misses the NCAA tournament? And with Danny White, should Danny White be calling the league office pushing for suspension or some discipline with him? And does the fact that his brother is the head coach at Florida have something to do with him not calling the league office on Omar Payne? Well, Austin and I have debated this and talked about it on the podcast uh, and, and at different times. I'm, I'm laying this at the feet of Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, and here, here's why. Sankey's in the building when that uh, that event occurred and that incident occurred. He's he's there courtside. He could have gone into the locker room and seen John Folkers if if he wanted to. He could have talked to to, um, to to Coach White or to Omar Payne or to Rick Barnes or whatever he wanted to at that time. Um, and, and he did nothing about it. This is not like Tennessee would have had to send in a tape and said, "Hey, I want you to review this." He saw it firsthand uh, and has elected not to do and has not elected not to punish anybody. So. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily on Tennessee to, to raise a big public um, deal about it at this point. I, not when the commissioner is there and the commissioner sees it. I think for the commissioner in the league office, I think it sets a pretty dangerous precedent, pretty interesting precedent, because now what constitutes getting someone suspended in any sport? Okay. I mean, what if a batter gets plunked in a baseball game this weekend as they open SEC play and he charges the mound after a pitcher? Are you going to suspend him? If you do, then does that does the baseball coach, well, wait a minute, this happened in a basketball game and you didn't do anything with them. You know, the inconsistency there, I think, is really interesting for Greg Sankey. So I lay it more at him. As for Fulkerson, I'll be surprised if he plays tomorrow or this weekend. I know Tennessee says day-to-day. Um, they're not ruling anything out at this point. But it just feels like um, it, would be a, it would be a surprise if he was on the court uh, Friday afternoon. Brent Hubs and Austin Price with us for the VolQuest Power Hour here on Outkick 360. Austin, if Keon Johnson is not the player that emerges as the quote-unquote star of this team as Tennessee potentially makes a run, where would you place your bets for that next player? Who, who's the guy that everyone's talking about if it's not Keon? Well, it's either going to be Keon or Jaden Springer. I mean, Victor Bailey may get hot like he did against South Carolina earlier, uh, you know, about a month ago, and have one of those really good shooting nights. But from a consistency standpoint, it's going to be one of the two freshmen, in my opinion. Um, And real frankly, Paul talked about Pons. We're talking about the two freshmen. To me, you know, I I call it the Jeff Blauser effect. This is a contract-driven tournament because for Pons, who's going to go pro, and then the two freshmen who could potentially end up turning pro early, I think that, you know, they want to play well. So I think they're going to be plenty motivated to bring their A game because everybody's watching in March. And if those two kids play up to their potential, then they can make themselves a lot of money over the next couple of weeks. Brent, I'll start with you on this one. What, why would John Fulkerson not come back to Tennessee? What, what would be stopping him? Because we haven't talked to you guys in a while. He had that emotional scene on Senior Day against Florida. Why Why would he not come back other than the coach is telling him he can't come back? 
Well, that's not the case. He's welcome back. Uh, you know, obviously for those, um, you know, he's a senior, but because the NCAA is granting that extra year of eligibility due to the pandemic, he has the opportunity to come back. Uh, and he's welcome back. This coaching staff would like to have him back. I think that for John, the question is this. Do you want to, do you want to go through another year? Do you want to play another year? Uh, are you done playing basketball? Do you want to go overseas and try to make money? I think John has visions of being a coach at some point in time. Does he want to get that started as a graduate assistant? Um, you know, he's going to be almost 23 years old. Does he want to hang out with 17, 18-year-olds as a, as a guy on a team? Um, you know, I, I think those are the personal things that we don't know kind of where John Fulkerson is. Um, you know, the emotional scene in Thompson Bowling Arena gave you the indication or left you with the feeling that he would not be back. Uh, I don't think he's made a final decision at this point. Uh, but I think the, just the overriding question is, does he want to go through it or is he ready to, quote, become an adult and move forward into the next phase of his life? Traditionally, guys, this is where Tennessee has had their most success in the tournament. It's not been as the two seed. It's been middle of the pack. How loose is this group going into the tournament in Indianapolis? And as you factor in where they are and how they finished the season, albeit with a loss to Alabama, but we know how things ended in the tournament with Fulkerson and the momentum there. As you fill out your brackets, do you have Tennessee advancing to next weekend? I do, because I think defensively they're a good enough team that they'll be able to shut down Cunningham at Oklahoma State and, or, or limit him. I don't know if you can really shut him down, um, but I think you can limit him. And I think defensively, They'll, they'll be up for the challenge. So I do have Tennessee making to the Sweet 16. Brent? You know, I think, the, I think the bigger question on them being loose or not is, again, how do teams handle this this week? I mean, Tennessee has not been in their own bed in Knoxville for over a week now. Uh, they, they did not come back after they were ousted in the SEC tournament. They stayed in Nashville for two extra days, basically. And then they went straight to Indianapolis. When they got to Indianapolis, they got straight off the bus, um, went straight to their rooms, had to be quarantined there. Next morning, had their, had their test, had to go back to their rooms to be quarantined. The only time they're outside is either to walk to the arena to practice or to get on a bus to go to an arena to practice. Otherwise, they're back in their room or they're back on their floor in a hotel. So how restless are you? I mean, how loose can you be? How anxious are you going to be? I, I think how teams play the first 10 minutes of, of the opening round games are going to be fascinating to watch because they're experiencing something right now they've never experienced before. I've said I think this team goes one and one, and I'm only saying that because I look at their body of work this year and they just haven't been consistent enough. I think they're very capable of being in the Sweet 16. I agree with everything Austin says, but you look at their schedule and the schedule says – they have a hard time playing back-to-back -back games, playing well in back-to-back -back games. Now, they did in the SEC tournament. Can they do that back-to-back -back weekends? They haven't been able to do it all year long, so we'll see if they can find that with themselves this weekend. Brent, pick up on that, and Austin, chime in, too. I know Rob Lewis is in Indianapolis covering everything for VolQuest.com. What's it like for reporters on the scene in Indy? And you mentioned the players don't have that much flexibility to go out and do anything. There are horror stories of – uh, you know, cold breakfast with no utensils being delivered to the uh, player hotel rooms and upon you can't arrival. Even go out and walk. Some of yeah. Uh, so, uh, what are they doing to pass time other than just sitting around? And I, I'm, I'm assuming media is in the same boat. 
Well, most of the media is not even going up until basically the day of their, their team's game uh, and, uh, or the night before. So, uh, you know, Rob is making his way this afternoon because there's really no reason to go early because all the you can't go to the press conference. The press conferences are being done via Zoom. Uh, so you go up there basically just kind of to, to see what the event's going to look like within the stadium that you're going to be. You'll be sitting up high and all the postgame stuff will be done via Zoom. Um, you, you know, for, for players, it's board games, it's electronics, you watch film, uh, you take a lot of naps. Um, and again, I, I think you're going to be anxious. I mean, and, and, and it's one of those deals where, I mean, Rick Barnes talked about it earlier this week. You, you literally pack for a month because if you win two games this weekend, you get to do the same thing next week. You stay in the same hotel room, you stay on the same floor, you go through the same routine with the opportunity to play two more games, you know, in the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. So I just think it's going to require a lot of mental toughness um, but because it's it's very different than what guys ha- have done before uh, or had to do before. It, it is a strange scenario, a strange setting. Um, we'll see how teams, you know, handle it. You know, I think in some ways Virginia going into this thing to, on Saturday – one would think they're a little bit of a disadvantage because they haven't been on the court they're going to play on. But in some ways, they've had a little bit of an advantage because they've kind of lived a normal life on their campus in Charlottesville before heading up on Friday. And basically, they're going to have about 18 hours of their, quote, initial quarantine. So they won't have all the the, the four or five days of sitting around waiting to play that everybody else has had. So, again, it's just different. And, and maybe it's not a big deal. Maybe I'm making too big of a deal of it. I just know players are creatures of habit, and there's nothing that's habit about what they're doing this week. If players has good team chemistry, if you go back to Tennessee's team a couple of years ago with Grant Williams and, and Admiral Schofield, you knew the whole peanut butter jelly and all that stuff. That they, they, Their team chemistry was great. I'm not saying Tennessee's got bad team chemistry this year, but you knew the veteran leaders were a tight-knit unit. The, the tight-knit unit here may be the freshmen. So what's the chemistry like? And we're going to find, out, find that out about a lot of teams over the course of the tournament because who's ready to just go home and be normal and not be stuck on the same floor day after day after day? If players don't have – underwear for a month and they go on a run you think equipment men are doing personal laundry (laughs) you think guys are rotating on trips to the laundromat you think we're going inside out what what commando what's your prediction Commando. (laughs) that's a rough one that's a dangerous proposition in a basketball game and basketball shorts that's that's a dangerous proposition Paul, Paul, this is a Power 5 school. You think those kids are doing their laundry in their dorm rooms? They're probably leaving that laundry basket with the equipment guy going, hey, I got a date tomorrow night. Can you press my pants for me? I mean, trust me, their laundry's getting taken care of. Nobody, there's not a basketball player seen a laundromat or know what a laundromat is in, in Indianapolis. That's I a big that. ask for those laundry, uh, for the equipment guys. I hope their palms are getting greased. Some barely pack their own bag, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, for for, the, for these trips, <laughs> sad but true. Um, guys, as we as we transition a bit to football, uh, final thoughts on the overall tournament. Uh, as you assess where the SEC is right now, how would you rate or rank the final four potential for the SEC representatives in the NCAA tournament? Where would Tennessee stack in that group? I'm assuming Alabama would be at the top of your list. Is Tennessee second? They are for me. Um, uh, Alabama is the 
clear the one, especially if they shoot it well like they've done most of the year. Tennessee would be the two. LSU, to me, is the surprising three. I I, I know they've got, they'll have they have a tough draw and have to knock off a one in round two, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if that LSU team continued their really good play and, and, and pull up off some upsets in this NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think LSU is really intriguing, uh, particularly given how hard they played in the SEC tournament. They were super intense. Ironically, I agree with Austin that I think Tennessee would probably be number two out of the SEC, which kind of tells you where we are in college basketball because you're sitting here saying the second-best team in the SEC with a chance to go to the Final Four is Tennessee. They're also a team that could very easily go home on Friday or, or could go home on Friday if they don't show up. So um, th- that's just kind of where, where things are in, in basketball right now. But I do think Tennessee defensively, when they're locked in, uh, is as good as it gets on, on the defensive end. And I really like where Keon Johnson has taken his game. He looks like a guy the last three games, going back to that Florida game at home, uh, who was trying to take over basketball games and is trying to carry the load of saying, hey, you need me to go score points, I'll go score points for you. We saw what he did to Alabama in the first half. And give Alabama credit, they shut him down in the second half and nobody else on, on Tennessee's team responded the way they needed to. But Keon Johnson is a guy who's, to me, is kind of stepping to the forefront saying, hey, give me the ball, and, and I'll go find a way to try to get you some points. I like his assertiveness right now. One thing I'm hearing from both of you is no love for Arkansas because Arkansas is the three seed. In order, Tennessee would be third if you went by seed. Alabama, two seed. Arkansas, three seed. Tennessee, a five seed, is next in that rotation. So what is it about the Razorbacks you don't trust? They're red hot right now. Well, it's exactly that for me. Can they stay red hot? A little bit like Oregon State. You know, Oregon State got really hot um, and, and shot the ball through, you know, shot the lights out to, to win the tournament, their conference tournament, to, and get in. Um, can, can Arkansas stay hot? Now, they've been hot longer than Oregon State has, but, you know, can they, can they stay that way? Um, I don't know. I, I've not seen enough of them maybe to be the believer um, that, that I should be in that team. Uh, but I, I just don't think that – I just don't – I don't have the, the affinity for them, I, I guess, that, that some other people have. I think they may even be seated a little bit high, to be honest with you. Coming up, uh, during the, the layoff from uh, starting this show over the last two months, a lot has happened. There was a coaching search that took nah, place Monday afternoon. there's we, nothing happened. <laughs> Come on. coaching search right after we, uh, we left the airwaves in Nashville. We have yet to talk with Brent or Austin about any of this with the Josh Heupel era in Knoxville. We'll do that next, right here on OutKick 360 on the OutKick Kick OTT Network. Stay with us. OutKick 360 rolls on here on the OutKick OTT Network. Crew is all here. And Austin Price and Brent Hubbs are with us from VolQuest.com for the Tennessee Power Hour here on the show, which happens every day, 1 o'clock Eastern, noon Central, right here on OutKick 360. So let's start here with football, guys. Josh Heupel, I can't think of a bigger departure in personality from Jeremy Pruitt of what he's talking about with his football program, his overall managerial style, everything that goes with it. Jeremy Pruitt didn't win a lot of friends on campus, and that hurt him in the end. In a lot of ways, other than Philip Fulmer, he didn't have a lot of friends. What has been your perception of Josh Heupel and his personality so far?
really well for me it's very comfortable um go ahead brent well i mean i i think it's a total different deal uh obviously and and and, you know josh heupel's in a situation where um he he's got a a better feel for how to manage a program And, and that's you know, I don't want to bash on Jeremy Pruitt, but the reality is when you look back on it and some of the things Jeremy Pruitt did, those were first-time head coaching mistakes. Uh, bull in a china shop with too many things um, at, at too many times. And, and I think Josh Heupel's personality is obviously different, but he's also been at multiple places and he's been a head coach before. So I think he knows when to push, when you got to you know maybe be a little more political with it if you have to be, or you got to be a little more – easy with things. Um, he understands it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I think that's a, a contrast from where Jeremy Pruitt was, Austin. Oh, I agree. Uh, you know, uh, Coach Pruitt, I think, did some good things. I know Tennessee fans probably don't see it that way, but he did. Um, you know, but he also, as Brent said, was a bull in a china shop in so many aspects, especially early on. And Chad brought up the, the enemies he made on campus. All those were made first year and early on. And, uh, you know, just – they could never recover from it. And, um, you know, Josh Heupel is very comfortable in his own skin. He is a laid back guy. He is, uh, you know, one that I think is big on family. We've talked about that before. And, uh, you know, is one that comes through. He tells the secretaries goodbye when he leaves the office. Um, those, that, that's the kind of guy he is. I mean, he, he's very conscientious of the people he works for around him, wants them to be engaged, wants them to be happy. And, uh, you know, and and so I think that the players have kind of, I guess, resonated with that pitch because I think for uh, so much of last year, you know, they were kind of tore down in a certain aspect. And right now this current staff is doing a lot of, you know, team bonding and team building and building up their confidence and trying to instill some positive swagger to a group of kids that I think were kind of mentally defeated uh, for the for a better part of last year and then coming out of last year into the first part of this offseason. Brent, let's start again with you on this one. Paul's going to ask a question about someone who was not hired. I want to ask both of you guys, who is the most important hire on this staff for Josh Heupel? Who's going to be the most impactful coach on this staff in his first staff that's going to determine whether or not Tennessee is successful under, under Heupel? Well, I think there's a couple ways to look at that. You know, obviously, Josh Heupel's offense is Josh Heupel's offense. So Tim Banks on the defensive side of the ball um, as the defensive coordinator is a, is a huge hire, and he rolled the dice there. He's got experience, but he's not called a ton of defense on his own. So I think, you know, there's a big question mark around Tim Banks. I like it. I like who he is. I like what he's about, but there's certainly a question mark there. I think the best hire that Josh Heupel made – for the marathon of this, not the sprint, is Rodney Garner. Because Rodney Garner's got 30 years of experience in the SEC. He knows this conference inside and out. And as we all know, you don't line up in this league and win without some Jimmys and Joes. Okay, that's what the Titans are trying to do in free agency right now is they're trying to up their roster to make them a better football team talent-wise. you got to do that in recruiting in the college game. And I think the best recruiter year in and year out for nearly three decades now in the SEC – has been Rodney Garner. So I love the hire of Rodney Garner. So, uh, and deflect a little bit, because I don't know if there is one guy, Chad. What I think is, is you've got continuity on offense. What I like is the hires on defense. It's experience. 
whether it be Tim Banks, who's been at multiple Power Five stops, Brian Jean Marie. I love saying that. I've got to practice that because I got it just kind of rolls off the tongue. You do um, it so well. You know, we've got yeah, a lot of Power Five experience. Rodney <laughs> Rodney Gardner obviously has got a lot of Power Five experience at three stops for thirty years, as Brent just said, and then Mike Eckler. You know, who who again has been at a lot of big time programs, understands it, understands it. So I think more than anything, it's the experience of the collective group. Now, how do they work together? Time will tell. But the staff chemistry can only go up from what was on the last staff. What are we to make of Kevin Steele and his pretty brief stay? Well, uh, you know, situation. It, <laughs> go ahead, Austin. And, and, and things didn't work out and, you know, they went in a different direction. When Kevin Steele was hired, Brent, he was hired by Dondi Plowman, who signed off on it. He was hired by Philip Fulmer. At that point, you know, Philip wasn't out and wasn't retiring or whatever you want to call it. And so, when they changed ADs, to me, that's when the the change of course direction happened with any potential chance for Kevin Steele. Would you agree, Grant? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, it's obviously the big winner in that is Auburn. Nobody's really talked about that because Auburn was due to pay him $2.1 million, and now they get to books, basically. So Auburn's sitting there going, hey, thanks for – Thanks for giving a guy a two-week nine hundred thousand dollars salary. That's pretty awesome because <laughs> it's a big, big profit, you know, big profit margin for us. Uh, but no, I mean, this is a, a situation where uh, I think there was a little bit of a, a of a panic in hiring Kevin Steele uh, because you were too close to the window of when Jeremy Pruitt was going to talk to investigators. Okay, and you should have had a pretty good idea after already interviewing a good number of people on the staff of where you thought that thing was going to go, um, that you could have, you could have held off there and, and saved yourself $900,000. When, when Austin's right, when Philip Fulmer was out, Kevin Steele was done. He didn't have a chance to remain on staff uh, at Tennessee and just lump that money into, um, all the money that Tennessee has been giving away to people, not to coach or, uh, that they've been writing to other schools to hire somebody from their school to come coach. Uh, there, there's plenty of money on the wherever that money. I haven't been able to find that money tree on campus. <laughs> it's somewhere though because they are writing checks left and right at Tennessee's campus for a school that supposedly South, doesn't South have a whole Stadium lot of money. Hall. So what I'm hearing is you both grade his time as Tennessee's interim coach as a great, great success, a lot of progress. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this for Kevin Steele. Let, let, in, in all seriousness, he he did walk into an, a situation that was really tough. Oh, terrible! Trying to get kids to go to class. I mean, seriously, trying to get kids to go to class, trying to keep them out of the transfer portal. I mean, Ke Kevin Steele didn't, as much as we talk about the easy money he made, I mean, he worked for two weeks. He met with kids on a daily basis. He talked to parents. He did everything he could to try to hold that roster together because he felt like he was going to have an opportunity to get that job. And, and so he did work really hard for two weeks. It just became very clear uh, when Danny White did not give Kevin Steele an interview, it was clear to Kevin Steele and to everybody else he was not going to be a factor on Tennessee staff. That that was a profitable two weeks yeah. for Kevin Steele. Uh, profitable two, two weeks, weeks of hard work. actual hard work, and then got sent home and uh, wasn't contacted after that. Guys, Henry Tootoo, is there a chance that he is on Tennessee's roster this fall? Yes. 
Uh, I, I do. The more people I've talked to, the more smoke that's been out there, um, and it smoke coming from different directions. Um, you know, so I do think there's a possibility. Now, Brent, we've heard that before. He was supposed to come back in January, didn't come back. Supposed to come back at one point in February, and didn't come back. So, you know, we'll see. But I do think there's a lot more smoke there. Again, that smokes in, from several different directions. Um, about the possibility of him returning for spring practice. Now, if that happens, Brent, how does Josh Heupel handle it? How do the players receive it? Um, having you know had Henry miss all of the winter workouts, to me, that's a big question. Well, there's no doubt. And, and again, I, I think before you get down the road about you know whether there's a real chance he's here in the fall or not, he's got to get back to Knoxville. Okay, I mean Tennessee again in their in their desire to spend a lot of money loaded up an airplane, okay, with with three coaches on it, made a pit stop in Auburn to pick up Kevin Steele to go out to recruit Henry T to come back to Knoxville. Everybody who was on the plane telling him, hey, come back to Knoxville is no longer in Knoxville, no longer a part of Tennessee athletics. And now there's some thought that maybe he's going to come back to Knoxville anyway. I'm pessimistic. Austin knows that. Um so I, I've got to see Henry T on campus before I think that there's a chance anything gets real. I'm curious about just how many options Henry has had out there with other schools that he's really, really interested in. His dad made some interesting comments publicly about how they made a mistake to come to Tennessee to begin with. Now he may be coming back for spring practice. What other options does he have? And as Austin said, how, does peop- how do the people on Tennessee's campus handle his return if he does indeed come back. Brent Hubbs and Austin Price have been with us. Uh, for those that are new to the show, um, Austin celebrates Christmas uh, year-round. And this is the one is week, down. yeah, it's the one week where his tree is not over his left shoulder right now, but the master's sign it remains yes, it, over the right shoulder. Those are the two things he yeah, celebrates year-round, the Masters and uh, Christmas. And That's no right. one knows more about the theatrical works of Luke Perry than one Brent Hubbs. <laughs> so we'll be talking a lot more about that as we go. And this will be a reoccurring segment every single week. Thanks, boys. Really good. It was great. Thank you for uh, being on the maiden voyage with, you, with us this week on OutKick. You're welcome, Jason Biggs. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. I don't know if I heard that's that one good. before, but it's fitting. Brent Hobbs uh, and Austin I think, Price have been our guests. Go ahead, uh, Brent. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Look forward to being on with you guys. Welcome back. I know uh, everybody has missed you, certainly, in the, in the city of Nashville. Everybody's missed you. Glad to be back with you guys. Look forward to uh, plenty of banter, maybe a little information along the way. Maybe. Uh, perhaps. Perhaps we'll pick on some people throughout the hours coming up, but look forward to being on with you guys weekly. Thanks for having us back. No doubt. And when we come back, when we come back down to Nashville, we're going to come see you boys and tell Jeff Jarrett I'll be glad to take a guitar shot from him. Love it. got the guitar right back here for you. Me first. Funny enough, Hutton also likes apple pie the same way as Jason Big. So So you really nailed it with that cup. Thanks, boys. See you guys. See you guys. Brent Hobbs and Austin Price, BallQuest.com. Hey, guys, was that stomach rumble I had audible on air? I could hear it. Yeah. We can hear it up here. Yeah. yeah, Lance and Jacob are both saying I yes. I need a bigger breakfast. I had a problem in college where my stomach would always rumble to a level where 
I would almost have to cough in class to cover up the cover rumbling of my stomach. So the professor it was it was hear? distracting. It was distracting me because I could hear it so loud. There's no professor involved. There. We we need to do some <laughs> yeah. some quick housekeeping on the way out. Uh, Lance Lee's doing a great job for us. And we learned that uh, Jacob Swanson. Some call him Jakob. Uh, Jakob, bath salt <laughs> bandit is uh, is the nickname for him now. We have the chairman of the board, David Reed, and we have Jakob, our bath salt bandit. I, I heard the show bat happen for salt us. bandit. I was looking for bat salt. <laughs> Clearly, Paul's never had any fun. <laughs> That's what we're learning. That he heard bat salt and not bath salt. This is I have clearly to say, a guy who doesn't get The water get heater in my house only fills our giant tub up halfway before. It gets cold. When we close <laughs> out today, Hutton and it's I will explain bath salts to. Uh, I know what bath to, uh, salts. Are. You said bath salt, though, is what you thought. I know. I misheard it, but I know what bath salts are. I just thought he was <laughs> you a clearly bath don't. salt guy. Jacob Swanson, the bath, bath salt, salt I thought he spun off in a weird way. Love it. Love it. Uh, big thanks to David Reed it's that uh, and Lance Lee. Paul, on the way out, please explain don't block the box. Ah, yes. Don't block the box. Hutton gave me this sign once. You'll see these hanging in the northeast at key intersections. Look, here's an intersection. And in the southeast. You're coming to a red light, and there's a red light going this way. If there's traffic and you come into this intersection, but you can't get out of the intersection because the traffic is backed up, and you stop in the intersection, you are screwing up traffic for absolutely everyone because when this guy's light turns green, where can he go? Nowhere! If he can't go anywhere, you are committing a felony as far as I'm concerned. We've discussed this time and time again. This person should be yanked out of his car, which should be towed, and he should be put in a stockade. They should be ringing the bell. Shame, 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 shame. And so I sign off. Now, another quick story. I had a naked teenage kid. Let's, let's save this. I mean, this is too good. We can, well, you're, you're on a roll with the right, other we'll one. Add, we'll well, that, we'll tell that story another day. That's and very I'll suspenseful. Add a, I'll add I had a, a naked teenage yeah. kid, and we'll stop there. We'll stop yeah, that's there, in a future we'll show. A, you'll we'll hear that. all about it. But this is why I sign off uh, the, the show the way I do every day. Jonathan, you say your final words, and then I'll... Uh, Okay, uh, final words. Tomorrow, we are live at 6th and Peabody for the Outkick VIP Watch Come Party. Absolutely. 6th and Peabody. Can't uh, wait. It's going to be a great show. And we are live special time tomorrow morning. We'll be live at 10 Eastern, 9 Central in downtown Nashville. Hope you'll join us for Outkick 360 on the Outkick OTT network. Don't block the box.